Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Nebraska Hawks Nest. These guys are brave! They're Hawkeyes, living in enemy territory. Listen, these guys are way past their prime, but they're still Hawkeyes! They're spreading the Hawkeye height to all of Nebraska! The Frost Advisory is cancelled! Cornhusker? More like corn shuffles. Are you ready for this podcast? Let's go, Hawks! All right, welcome back to the Nebraska Hawks Nest. Give us a like and subscribe, because like we always say every interview, how cool would it be for a Hawkeye podcast to be the number one podcast in the state of Nebraska, because I think we can get it done. Joining us today, we're going with a little bit of different flavor. The guy's got some Iowa blood burning through his veins. It's just not Hawkeye. Former Northern Iowa Panther star, I would say, and current Colorado State assistant basketball coach. Let's see if I can get this right now because I'm horrible at this kind of stuff. Ali Farouk Numesh, correct? That's good enough. We'll take it. Farouk Numesh. Farouk Numesh. Got it. We got it. Ali F for the rest of the video. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Do they call you just Coach F now? Is that? Yeah, it's, it's straight Coach Ali. That's it. I don't even try coach to make them say my last name. Same with my kids. I don't make them even learn their last names. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, that's I that, that that's refreshing. Then I could say I could just go coach Ali the rest of the interview. So, coach, um, right now you're currently at Colorado State University, um, and like we were talking about a little bit off uh, camera here, um, there's a lot of former Wayne State College Wildcats there that I know back from my time there. Tell us about where you're at in your career right now and how everything's going. Yeah, Ryan Williams, Rico Burkett are up here. Um, there's a there's actually a big Nebraska connection um, with Colorado. There's a ton of kids from Omaha and the previous kid on our roster right now from Omaha Central named John Tanjay. Um, so there's a ton of connections from Nebraska area up to um, Colorado State. But, yeah, I'm working with Nico Medved. We're going on year four right now. We were basically the last team out of the tournament. Um, our old uh, program that we were with, Drake, got in above us. Uh, but – it's been a it, it was a, it's been a great ride. We were a super young team last year, and 
return actually everybody. So we'll return our top eight scores from last year's team that went 20 and eight. So okay. we're looking forward to having a, having a really good year this coming season. I want to ask you a quick too about coach Rico Burkett. Now I, um, I was always so impressed with Rico. I mean, such a great guy and a really great coach. And um, he, he was out of coaching there for a little bit. And I was super disappointed by that. Cause I thought the game of basketball lot, you know, lost a great, great coach when, when he wasn't. And I was so jacked when he got back in Tell us a little bit about what it's like, uh, you know, getting to know Coach Burkett and, you know, over on the women's side of things there at Colorado State. Yeah, so Coach Williams has been here for 12 years or so, and then Rico joined him. I think this will be going on their third year together. Um, but obviously Rico's had a tremendous impact on that program. They they Last year, I think the previous year is first year, they finished ninth in the conference. And this past season, they were one game away from winning the conference. So talk about having an impact on a program right away. Um, And, you know, Rico's one of the salt of the earth, best people in the world. Oh, yeah. And he shows up every day with a smile, talking to everybody in the program, everybody in the university, the whole athletic department knows his name. Um, You can tell the type of impact he's had, not only on that program, but on the whole university. And it's it's been great getting to know him more and more and uh, throughout the last year or so. He's such a beloved guy at Wayne State, and uh, Coach Williams' legacy still lives on there. He really set the women's program on the right track, and it's been nothing but successful, you know, since he left. And you know, a lot of that is attributed to him. I had a lot of good times. Uh, you know, I was a student manager for the ba- men's basketball team when Coach Burkett was the head coach and Ryan Williams was the head women's coach, and we had some fun personalities in the athletic department there. So those were good times. I know you got some stories you probably can't share on this podcast. <laughs> probably not. If you want me to later, I if I, I can share the the Ryan Williams story, getting mad at me about the student section, but yeah. he had good reason. <laughs> anyway, there you said something else in there. We're going to circle back around to Ali, but we're going to get to that later that I that I picked up on. But anyway, let's go back to the beginning of your basketball career and such. You know, give us an idea of your background. You, uh, I know you came out of City West. But I, I don't think Iowa City was really where you had grown up. And, um, you know, just kind of take us through your background, where how you came up through high school and, and you know, what how you grew up playing basketball. I mean, it's now your, you know, it's been your life. And uh, just kind of fill us in on what, on what made a uh, Ali. Yeah, so I, I actually grew up in – it's funny, I, I, I'm kind of a nomad. Um, I grew up for the first 15 years of my life in Washington. My parents were the coach, volleyball coaches at Washington State. And then we moved to Iowa. My parents became the head volleyball coaches at the University of Iowa. Um, and then from there, went to Iowa City West, played for Coach Bergman, who's still the coach at Iowa City West. Won, I think now he's going on six state titles. I'm not including one of those, but we don't talk about that. Um, but one a legendary high school basketball coach, legendary basketball figure in Iowa City. Um, has said he's going to retire for the last 15 years, but still is coaching. Um, so I, I was lucky enough to play with him play for him, had some battles against um, some really good players that ended up going to Iowa. One of my rivals was probably Matt Gatons, who uh, the Gatons name is pretty big in Iowa City and in Iowa. Um, And now he's a coach at Drake as well. Um, But then went to to Iowa City West and then stayed in Iowa, went JUCO first. Um, I was actually a good student, but I wanted to give myself a chance to play Division I. So ended up going to Indian Hills in Ottumwa. Um, went there for a year and didn't play much, was kind of in and out of the lineup and whatnot. Um, had a good year as a team, whole team trans, my whole freshman class transfer. And you're in Juco, right? You only have freshmen and sophomores. So your whole freshman class transfers, something bad's going on there. 
So I wasn't one, I wasn't the only one. So yeah. left and then went to Kirkwood um, and played for Doug Wegemeister, who's mm-hmm. now the athletic director at Kirkwood. And Kirkwood's obviously been a phenomenal uh, junior college program throughout the years, um, dating back to Chris Jans as well. Um, so went there, had a good uh, sophomore season, got recruited to a bunch of different places and came down to St. Louis and uh, Northern Iowa. And Rick Majerus was the coach at um, St. Louis at the time. Yeah. And, and really in Northern Iowa wasn't doing so well at that, at that point in time. Um, but I just really believed in what they were building. Um, had a couple of kids that I played against growing up in high school, um, Jordan Eggleseeder, um, who nowadays I think if Jordan – if Jordan was getting recruited nowadays, um, there's no chance he ends up in Northern Iowa. He would have been at Kansas or a- anywhere else in the country, possibly, um, just because the seven foot one guys with that much skill don't end up at Northern Iowa too often. Um, but ended up in Northern Iowa, and then kind of the rest was uh, the rest was history from there. So go back. I mean, you had to coming up in the Iowa City area. Do you have any massive uh, battles over in some pickup games over at the Fieldhouse and uh, <laughs> come up against some guys? Or oh man, the Fieldhouse. I was, God, I was talking to him about the field house the other day, but it's it's not the same as when I was in high school. But you used to go up to the field house every single day after school, and we would play in the field house from about three to six. And if you lost, I don't know if you guys played in the field house ever, but if you lost in the field house, you didn't get back on the court. And there was only three good courts. There were there were three good courts and then three horrible courts. And if you were lucky enough to get on one of those three good courts, you you played as hard as you could to stay on the court. And I was in high school, so like we would get on and be the high school kids and these dudes was they would just blast us. And every once in a while when we would get that win, it was monumental. And then somehow they would find a way to kick us off the court. But the field house, man, that was that's what shaped me. You got to play against Adam Haluska. You got to play against Jeff Horner, Greg Bruner, um, all those guys back then. They would go to the field house and play. And it's it's sad. I don't know if kids play pickup like that anymore with the way AAU is and everything else that's going on. I don't think kids play pickup like they used to, and that's all we did. That was that was my that was, those were the glory days. I swear, I used to live to go to the field house and play pickup basketball against Iowa guys. There was all the guys from Chicago that were just going to school at Iowa would come in there and beat us up. Um, that was that was my formative years of basketball. To be honest. So as far as coaching goes in the state of Iowa now, I don't, this is going to be a tough question for you. So I don't want to burn any bridges here, but <laughs> is Ben Jacobson the best coach and the best college basketball coach in the state of Iowa? Uh, yeah, apologies, Darren DeVries and everyone else out there and Fran McCaffrey, but um, yes, <laughs> I mean, from the longevity standpoint, from everything he's done from the resources and, and whatnot. I mean, to take that program from where it was, and, and you got to give credit to Greg McDermott for kind of starting that process, but for Coach Coach Jake to do what he's done at Northern Iowa in the Missouri Valley against when he was bringing it up, it was against Wichita State and Creighton uh-huh. where those resources outweighed Northern Iowa's tenfold. So you think about what he's done and the talent level. It's not all Iowa kids, but for the most part, they've done it with kids in the state of Iowa, and I think that's impressive in and of itself, and I think no matter if you're in – and I think that's what's clamored for some people too. It's Iowa fans, Iowa State fans, um, even Drake fans for a while there when they were a little bit of the doormat. Um, that changed, and people really embraced Northern Iowa basketball, and that that's what was fun for me playing at Northern Iowa too is all my friends got excited for it. It wasn't this where it was like because you were at Iowa or you were at Iowa State, you couldn't root for each other. During basketball season for the game, obviously, we didn't root for each other, but – then once that game was over, it was everybody was on board, and it was especially for our team 
um, it was a lot of fun because at that time, Iowa and Iowa State weren't very good either. So it kind of, yeah. I think, that boosted us a little bit as well. Well, yeah. Iowa fans don't want to admit it either, but like like Jerry and I were talking before, like you and I just flat out has had more tournament success than the Hawkeyes have. And um, in your opinion, just as a coach and as a player, what is that little bit that the Hawkeye basketball program is missing to you know break through past that second round and have a little bit more success in the Big Ten tournament? I think it, I think a lot of it comes down. There, there's a, there's a ton of luck involved, you know, matchup wise, especially with the NCAA tournament. Like if if you get a, we got to be honest, like Kansas, that wasn't the it wasn't the best man, the number one team in the country, so it can't be a great matchup, but. <laughs> To be honest, the matchup wasn't as bad as what people thought for us because we had a seven footer to match up with them. Like yeah. if we would have played more of a fast pace, like a VCU type, that yeah. probably would have been worse for us actually than playing Kansas. So a lot of the NCAA tournament has to do with matchups. But I mean, when you got a guy like Luca Garza, you got Joe Wieskamp out there. Um, uh-huh. The talent level's been there. I think Fran, you can you can see, especially when you look at Fran's teams because we played them when he was at Siena. Uh-huh. Look at the teams that he had at Siena. And then you look at the teams that he has at Iowa now, he's kind of playing a different style. And that's what's cool. That's what's special is there's a lot of good coaching going on in the state of Iowa between Coach Jake, Darren DeVries, and then you look at Coach McCaffrey, and then I think TJ Otzelberg is going to get it going at Iowa State too. So for the state of Iowa in general, I think it's going to continue to rise. But um, as far as the Hawkeyes go, you know, I'm always rooting for them. I've still got Iowa in my heart. Um, so I'm always cheering for them to, to win, especially – Joe Wieskamp, when he was a sixth grader, I actually he came up to Northern Iowa and I was teach doing shooting lessons with him. So Joe, like I, I always will cheer for Joe to do well, and it's great to see his success even going on to the pros. I'm sure people wanted to come back for another year, but it's great to see him having success going forward too. Yeah. So getting back to the end of your story and your progression, and I don't want to gloss over when you said you went the JUCO route. You're mentioning in Indian Hills, you know, and I think a lot of people don't realize the quality of play in, in those JUCO ranks. And like you said, it's not necessarily, you know, because of grades, but it's, you know, guys wanting to get better. But um, Indian Hills plays uh, in the same uh, division, I believe, as Northeast Community College up here. And, you know, Iowa fans would be familiar because Cyrus Tate uh, transferred from Northeast then to Iowa and such. Talk a little bit more about, you know, that JUCO experience and the quality and level of play and how that helped you develop as well before you got to Northern Iowa. Yeah, it's uh, the the quality of junior college basketball in the state of Iowa is it, it's incredible. I mean, you go from the Division One Division One schools in Iowa, you go Iowa Western, you go Southeastern. If you've ever been to the Southeastern Indian Hills game, that's one of the best basketball atmospheres you could ever experience. And I went, I actually went back. I played in it once as a player, and then I got to go back and recruit as well as a coach. And it's it, it's a special environment. I, I, if people haven't been able to go do that doesn't sound like a bucket list type of thing for a sporting event, but it really is special because those two communities do not like each other. And they've been successful for so many years that it's created this rivalry. And it's, it is it is a blast. So if you ever get bored on a winter night and you find out you can go to that game, it, oh. you have to go check that game out. That is, that is one of the basket, best basketball atmospheres you can go to in Iowa. They're exciting brand, but yeah, if you're going there to study defenses, that's usually not the case. <laughs> no, no, exactly. There's a lot of scoring going on. It's a lot up and down, but but that's what makes it fun for the for the spectators. So I mean, it's 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 great fun, and I mean, it had to be a great experience for you. No, absolutely. And there's there's a different level to it when it comes to junior college in the sense that that's it. It really is the cliche thing, but it's last chance you. You know, that's. 
that's how you approach it. And every single kid out there knows that like, this is my last opportunity to try to become a division one division, whatever division two basketball player after this, it, it's done. And the coaches sometimes treat you that way too, <laughs> to be honest. Um, it, it, but it's, it's that different kind of atmosphere and competitiveness and hunger that sometimes you don't see at these other places because none of these guys were entitled. None of these guys were given anything. And at this point, like you're fighting to get to your dream. And that's where I think that's what makes junior college basketball fun is that you're watching a bunch of guys that are really trying to make their dreams happen right in front of your eyes. And not to say it doesn't happen in division one, but in junior college, it's, it's a lot different. You don't have the private jets. You don't have the, you don't have the meals after games. Like we're eating Papa John's and you might get a slice. Um, it's a different type of hunger and a different type of atmosphere. Well, give us a quick little walkthrough and synopsis of that magical run that you guys had of the NCAA tournament, being able to grace the front cover of Sports Illustrated, which has got to be, you know, one of the coolest things ever. And what they call, uh, you know, Jerry refers to it as the shot, you know, one of the biggest shots in NCAA tournament history. Just kind of walk us through what that experience was like and how special that was. You just you just stole my punchline. I was going to act like I had no clue what you were talking about. Be like, be like, he made a shot. What are you talking about? Oh, you, I'm sorry, Jerry. You got to tell me this stuff pre-production, man. Oh, no, what kind of a setup, man, are you, Adam? So, That's too anyway. funny. But go well, ahead, Alex. It um, I mean, when you talk about that, the moment itself, it was one of those things that culminated from okay, you don't you don't get recruited from Iowa City West High School to go anywhere. So I go junior college. Then I go junior college, my first junior college. I actually, it's kind of funny being on this podcast now, but I tried to walk on at Iowa after my first year at Indian Hills. I tried to walk on. Really? And yeah, and they said no. And my mom was the volleyball coach there too. So they really didn't want me if my mom was getting paid by the university to coach. So, wow. um, so I tried to walk on, didn't, that didn't happen. And then that's why I actually ended up at Kirkwood because I was like, all right, I'm going to give it one last chance. And then come full circle that spring, I'd been playing so well that they actually called Coach Weggs to off to want to offer me a scholarship, and I was already too far down the line. And I I told him no at that point. Um, it was kind of like one of those things where it was like, man, I literally went to high school there. I wanted to walk on. You could have had me for free. I was gonna actually, I was gonna not for free. I would have paid you to be there. Um, yeah. So it, it, adding that all up, and then going to Northern Iowa from there, that moment making that shot against Kansas uh, to win to seal the game i guess um you can't you can't write a better script than that to be honest so how much incentive did that give you when you played iowa going back a little bit into the regular season when you played iowa and you tried to walk on and i mean did that did that put a chip on your shoulder or how did you approach that game then when you, when you oh huge chip too big of a chip <laughs> it was it was almost it was almost too big of a chip to the point where i was horrible i don't know you could probably pull up the stats from when we played at carver and because i was ready to go like i had 35 people in the stands every ticket that i could possibly get i was going to use um all my high school friends were there my wife actually told me she was sitting courtside for that game and doesn't remember me so that shows you how well i played um but yeah that was that was probably part of the problem i didn't play well because i was wanted to play that good that game um but we ended up losing that one but then came back and beat him my senior year um up at and that was actually i think that was the last time that you and i played played Iowa at home, possibly. No, it might have been the next year when when Fran was there. Um, okay. But yeah, it, it was it, it meant a lot. It meant a lot to me. I didn't show up for it though. <laughs> when you when they 
um, said they weren't interested. Was that was that before Fran got there? Because that was kind of close to the transitional time when right before he took over, or was that after he just got there? No, it was before Fran. So that was okay. the, the Lick Lighter era. Yes. Yeah, so that tells the story right there. Nothing more needs yeah. to be said. You, you, you played too fast, in other words. But going back going back to the shot, um, Ali, uh, getting back on track here. But, um, you know, I never really amounted to much in high school basketball. But, you know, you're up one point, 42 seconds left. They inbound the ball. You got plenty of time on the shot clock. I don't think my coach would have ever advocated for me to just – Jack one up from three point range like that with all that time remaining. What what goes through your mind when you you know when you when that happens? And I mean, did you just were you just like I know I've got this? Or I mean, what goes through your mind to do that in that situation? Ali, hold that thought. Let's take a look one more time at it so we can kind of refresh your memory. Okay. <laughs> and no matter what happens on this possession, unless there's a foul by Kansas, Kansas is going to get the ball back. Northern Iowa is going to have to shoot it. Before the pass, Alcock runs out. Oh, oh, oh my. Farouk Benash at three. Yeah! You can't be serious with that shot. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was beautiful. That even touched the rim. <laughs> That, it's funny when you it's funny when you well, I watch it every single night but um it's funny when it's funny when I watch it now I don't even watch the shot as much as I watch like the reactions because that's that's what's fun to me is watching the bench go crazy what you see Brooks McCown who's a legendary Iowa basketball player high school basketball player now he's up upper Iowa but that stuff that the reactions of it my teammate Jake Cook taking the charge right after that, and then that's my reaction after that. That's on the cover of Sports Illustrated as to when Jake takes that charge. Um, it's a surreal moment, and I was actually zero for seven, I think, in that second half before that shot. I started out five for five, and then was zero for seven. So I think that goes to show Coach Jake too. His coaching style was. He never questioned us ever on shot selection, on our confidence. He had the utmost confidence in us to to make those plays. And I really don't think if instinctually if Coach Jake had instilled that in me, that I would have approached that the way I did. But that was kind of how I was raised. That's how I played basketball always. And then my head coach also allowed me to be myself. And so that that shot was a culmination of all those things. But it, it really was. It was instinctual. And I, I really do believe it's because Coach Jake allowed us to be that way. Like as, a, as a shooter, I, I, I know from, you know, all I could do was shoot three-pointers. I'm way too slow and unathletic. <laughs> so I knew that, you know, I was going to be able to get my, you know, contributions in shooting threes. So I was constantly coming off picks. And it's all about rhythm. And when you had to stop there and, and collect yourself and step back there for a second, that is a harder shot than it looked like. I mean, you were open, but also a little bit out of rhythm. Um, yeah. It's through what your thought process was when that shot came available. Did you think about holding back and not taking that shot and, and setting things up and trying to get a better shot? Or were you all the way like, I'm going to gun it here? 
Yeah, they, I think you might be the first person to actually say that was a harder shot than what it looks like. And everyone else gives me credit for it. <laughs> but <laughs> um, no, it, it was one of those moments where I, as soon as I caught it and I saw the defender there and then he backed off and I was wide open at that point. We, well, we had turned the ball over so much before that. that it was the first time it crossed half court. So I probably was just like, like holy, you know, we actually crossed half court finally. Yeah. Um, but it was one of those moments as soon as I caught it, saw him backed off and realized that I was that open – I had to take my shot because it was either I knew that they were probably going to foul. And if they didn't foul, were we going to get a better shot than a wide open three pointer at this point in time? Yeah. Um, so all those things, it sounds weird to say all those things ran through my head in point two seconds, but those are those things you play enough basketball, like at the field house, you play at the field house every day, you play at Iowa city West, you play on all those junior college games, you play all those games throughout the career. Those things just do flash through your mind that quickly and you make a decision. That's what's great about basketball to me is that you make so many split decisions in such a little amount of time and have to react to it that I think that's what makes basketball special. And in that moment, I had to react, and that split decision was, I got to shoot this shot. I got it. This is the best way to end this game. Now, between us, you knew it was in from the time you let it go, though, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, if you shoot – if you make a shot at some point – you know it's going in as soon as it leaves your hand. At least in that one, to be honest, you know sometimes you'll shoot one and you'll be like, I, I think that's good. I'm thinking it's good. That one, as soon as it left my hands, it felt good. It was pure. It came off my fingertips just the way I wanted I, it. To. I was going to say, because I don't think you really watched it that long after you shot it. I think you knew it was good from the minute you released it. So. Yeah, I, I wanted to run out of the gym. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've missed Let's that. Get, Let's get the same over with. I've missed that same shot a lot of times with a lot less on the line. And uh, it's it, that's the funny thing. As soon as I saw that, I mean, I played two three, a two and three guard all, the, all throughout high school and a little bit, tiny bit of college. And, you know, the – Anyone that, that's played that position, you know, I, I can think of being in that same position. And that is a way more difficult shot than, you know, anyone probably has given you credit for because that type of shot's all about rhythm. When you're a shooter, it's all about rhythm. And that I, it looked like there for a while when you got the ball and then had to step back, it's like that's one of those ones that a lot of shooters are going to take a second thought on before they take it. And then by that time, the defender's closed in on you and that shot's not available anymore. No, absolutely. And, and, and being six foot in the, smallest white guy in the court out there there was a lot of guys that were coming from behind to probably block my shot as well but it was um it it was it was one of those things as soon as I gathered myself and I had to regather myself after that but you do it so many times over and over and over and over again um it, it felt natural from that point and you know that as an athlete if you do something so many times and it's that repetitive action um your body just reacts to whatever it sees in front of it and that's that's exactly what happened in that moment you know, I, and it's funny talking about how much time was left, and it was Kansas. So, I mean, you still didn't have – that wasn't exactly like that was the game winner at the buzzer. And, I mean, you and I have had some big hit, big uh, last-minute buzzer beaters, Maurice Newby in 90 over Missouri and uh, Jesperson's half-court heave against Texas. And here your shot, I think, is probably the most recognizable one, and it was still with, you know, half a minute left on the clock. So. <laughs> it was, <laughs> but it was the number one seed. Yeah, exactly. And, and it was the stupidest shot. So that's probably why I get more credit for it. But well, you're right, though. That, that's, that's, what, that's what's cool about being a part of that history of you and I with Maurice Newby. And then even going to Wes Washburn when he hit a game winner to send them to the NCAA tournament to beat Evansville in that same season that Jesperson hit that half court shot. Um, it, it's special to be a part of that and, and a part of those memories within that, that program. So I, I didn't even know this existed. So I'm going to make sure that I give Jerry all this credit now and set him up properly since I botched it the last time. But um, there was a little bit of um, 
I would say a skit interview session that you did with uh, some Kansas Jayhawk fans back in the day that um, Jerry brought to my attention. So we really want to want to check this out. And for all you guys, again, like that are listening on podcast, check it out on YouTube. It, it, it's worth a watch. Iowa? Yeah, I, I've erased that memory. I went through therapy already. <laughs> went through therapy I, don't that talk, one? I don't want to talk about that. Who was that shooter? Who was the, who was the little... Um... He, had a, he had a weird last name, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Farouk Manesh, Farouk yes, or something. Yeah, you remember yeah. that? I remember him just raining jumpers raining. the whole game. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, Ali Farouk Manesh. Yeah. I'll, I'll never forget his name. I uh, just remember the uh, the shot at the end of the game. What, what was that? Uh, can, you, can you explain that? I can't. If it, I think it was a three-pointer by Farouk Manesh. Okay. Never forget that name. Yeah. Never, never forget that yeah. one. It's yeah. a long one, huh? Yeah. A lot of vowels. A lot of vowels. A lot of vowels. For Farouk. No, that's yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The long, the long last name, right? For Farouk Yeah. Something weird like that, right? Something weird like that. Over on the right side of the lane. Yeah. Yep. Yep. On the right side of the lane, out deep. And it was snowing, and we had to drive home in the snow. Do you remember? Do you remember that game at all? I, I remember it. Yeah. Ali Farouk Manesh hitting that three. That was a gutsy shot. Yeah. I, I still can't believe he took that shot. Uh, Ali Farouk Manesh hit in the final three. He was uh, a classmate of mine in school. And uh, didn't even realize he played basketball until I saw him on ESPN after that. So, <laughs> Wow. That's The one thing that blows my mind about this is none of them realized that was you, but they nailed your name perfectly on all those. So props to Kansas basketball fans for having that, you know, knowledge and remembering things but how what how did that come about and tell us about the idea behind that and how much fun that was um do you, do you guys know Dirk Shatlin over at uh Omaha World Herald sure we read read his articles right? yeah so Dirk uh Dirk came up with the idea and kind of was like pitching it to me I forgot he saw somebody doing he's like would you want to do something like this and I was like all right I, all right I got an idea what we could do possibly let's let's make this happen so we met early morning um, for they. It was a sweet. It was to go to the Sweet Sixteen. I think Kansas was playing Wichita State, um, and so we met out there. And like the first two people we did had no idea what we were talking about, like at all. And I was like, I was like, you don't remember anything? Like you know that, that you really aren't that big of fans. Like, that was like one of your best teams ever. But um, so we started doing it, and then all of a sudden it just started picking up. And then these guys started really recognizing me. And then the guy at the very end, who I went to class with, like the worst part about that. Either he wasn't going to class or I wasn't going to class. I don't know how we didn't recognize each other at some point. Um, but so then we started doing it. And it just started rolling. And then it was like seven, eight, like 10, 12 people were like perfect for it. And so then Dirk just kept rolling with it. And we had a blast doing it. And nobody punched me in the face afterwards or anything. And it was it was it was a really good time. Well, for anybody that hasn't seen it, go out and find it. Because for time reasons, we had to do a limited clip. But just as enjoyable is when everybody you introduce yourself to everybody and start telling them who you are. Everybody we saw in that clip, you, you see their reaction when they find out it's you. And then the, the guy that went to class with you, it was just, it was hilarious because I mean, it's just the look on his face when he realized, when he then to find out it was you and he's talking about how he'd been in school with you. So uh, go check it out. I believe it was Omaha.com had it and it's available on YouTube as well. But, uh, and the best part too is when you asked him that and he said he, he, when he says, uh, he thought he had a class with you. Your eyebrow just raises a little bit, kind of like. <laughs> and to your point, you're exactly. It's like, do I recognize this guy, or why doesn't he recognize me? Or it was just funny how you uh, kind of reacted to that. Yeah, it was, it was. It was definitely probably one of my finance classes, and I was yeah. not. I was not. I was not in many of those in the spring. So. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you too about Coach uh, Jacobson with his long time at Northern Iowa. 
you know, just, you know, obviously, you, you know, we don't have a crystal ball, can't tell the future, but if you had to guess for the next 10 years, what does the future hold for him? Is he going to finish his career as he, as the UNI coach, or do you see him at some point, you know, getting lured away to a, a bigger high level uh, D one program? Yeah. I don't think it's a, it's from a lack of opportunities. Um, he's, he, I think he's been close a couple of times to, to really possibly making that move. Um, but he knows he has a great situation. Both his sons are, are in high school right now. Um, and I mean, shoot, he's, he's got a, like a 10 year rolling contract. Why would you leave? Yeah. Um, but he's also, he's also one of those guys that understands like the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And yeah. there's a lot of other stuff that comes with, with going with making a move to a different situation and to a different environment. And I think, and also from my perspective, when I look at it from moving, when I, if I want to move up in the coaching ranks, I look at his career and, and I think he knows who he is and I think he knows what he wants out of this. And I don't think he's just is chasing something that's, that other people might be like, well, why haven't you left yet? Um, hmm. I think that's special too. And you, you see a lot of guys that leave places that they've been successful at um, or they could be there forever and be a legendary coach that leave and go somewhere and it doesn't quite work out the way they want it to. And if you, I think Coach Jake knows that he's got a great situation, a great environment, and man, that guy's that guy is you and I basketball. Let's just say that you get to write the script for the next ten years of your coaching career. How is that going to go for you? And and you know where where's a place you'd like to you know fans to end up you know remembering about you as a coach if we fast forward ten years from now? Yeah, my wife wants to go to Florida or California, but I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> or Iowa City, I guess, because that's home. Um, but I, honestly, I don't think about it a whole lot. I, I really love where I'm at right now. I love the guys that I get to coach every single day. Um, and that matters more to me than anything else. Like I, I work for a great guy that's a family, family oriented and it works great for me. I got four kids now. Um, he allows me to spend time with them. I got, to, I've missed, I've actually missed two games and two recruiting periods because of the birth of my children. And I've never felt guilty about it. And I know coaches allow their other coaches to do it. But Coach Medved is – I've never felt guilty about doing that. And I think that's, that's great. Special. And I'm really enjoying where I'm at. And I don't think about the next 10 years. I would like to be a head coach um, in the future. Um, and I don't know where that exactly um, will be. But I've always been a Midwest guy. Um, that's kind of my roots. That's my background. So I, I'm guessing that I will be somewhere in the Midwest. I'm not so going back to the start, um, you know, about the time of that video, I believe, was probably you were in the area but. You played overseas for a little while. I had a successful career, I believe. Uh, your last year, you were even the Dutch League uh, Sixth Man of the Year, I believe. And um, but you ended up coming back, I believe, as a graduate assistant for Tim Miles at Nebraska. You know, how, tell us about how that all occurred and how that transitioned for you. You know, what's what was the background on how you end up in Lincoln? It, it will first it was really hard for my wife to start wearing red when she she played volleyball in <laughs> Iowa. So it was. It was well, we, understand. <laughs> uh, we understand. We understand. We can identify. <laughs> So um, it was really hard for her to deal with that and switch over to wearing some red because, I mean, you can't you can't cut off the hand that's paying you. Um, so it, it was a blast, though, working for Coach Miles. And it, it kind of just happened. We Well, me and my wife got married, and then I was deciding what I wanted to do. So I reached out to Coach Miles and through a couple of other coaches, and <laughs> you guys will like this, but I, I, Coach Miles finally texted me back. It took forever. And he goes, I'm on a beach right now with a pina colada in my hands. Can I call you next week? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, sure. Like, <laughs> what? I don't know. 
<laughs> um, and so we got in touch then and he offered me the graduate assistant spot. And then I got to spend three years learning from him, growing from him and kind of learning the, the other side of it. And I think as a player, you don't understand how much more goes into coaching from a scouting perspective to the recruiting aspect of it to then going home to your family as well and trying to find that balance of everything. Um, whereas a college kid, you're just worried about the what test you have the next day and workouts. That's it. You don't have anything else to worry about. Except now I guess got NIL stuff. Um, but there's a whole, it was, it was a great atmosphere. Nebraska, I can't say this on the podcast. It's great though. I, I loved being there. The fan base is, is off the charts. Um, but it, it was yeah, – I'm not going to lie. The Nebraska-Iowa games were always hard for me and my wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and circle back around now to your time at Nebraska, going back to a point you said earlier, but at Colorado State you said you've got some kids from Omaha. What is it about Nebraska? You know, you hear about these um, Nebraska high school players that go off and find success at a South Dakota state like Dom or you guys get them at Colorado State. What is it that can't keep these kids at the University of Nebraska to play in their home state and their home territory? I think, I think it's hard sometimes, too. I don't think – if you looked at Mike Dom as a senior in high school, I don't know if you would have been like, oh, that guy's going to be one of the best player, college basketball players ever. You know, um, it, it's a lot of projecting. And then it's also part of the problem with that level, just in general, like the Power Five level, whatever you want to call it, they don't allow players to develop as much and for a kid like mike dom he had to redshirt first and so people don't realize that it wasn't like he walked on campus all of a sudden he was dropping 30 points a night so the guy had to redshirt first and usually sometimes it's sometimes it's for other reasons but typically you redshirt because maybe you aren't quite ready to play at that level and you look at mike dom for instance he needed some development you look at our, our my guy that's here now john tanjay from omaha central he needed some development he only played eight, eight minutes a night for us our first year here and now last year was 20 minutes a night and probably was pretty close to being sixth man of the year in our conference as a sophomore. Um, so I think that development aspect of it too, at that level, they don't allow kids to quite develop like some other places do. And for instance, like us, South Dakota State, we want to take those kids and help them grow and, and let them get that experience on the court and let them let them develop while they're playing the game. And we've been lucky enough to have some success with guys like that and there's a lot of Nebraska kids that they might not develop quite as early in their careers, but then you look at them while they're juniors and seniors, like, well, shoot, they should have been at Nebraska. They should have been at Creighton, but whoever it is. But it, there's there's always stories like that. And Nebraska, it's funny. We always talk about this in recruiting. Nebraska, Kansas City, um, and there's a couple others, but specifically those two areas always have some kids that don't get recruited that develop late. And John Tanjay was one of those kids. His only offer before we offered him was Missouri Southern. And now the kid's sixth man of the year almost in the Mountain West as a sophomore. And you'll get Mike Dom. I don't think he had anything going really until South Dakota State offered him. And you always hear those stories, especially those two areas. We always talk about that in recruiting. Nebraska and Kansas City, there's always those sleepers that just aren't getting recruited quite at that level. And now you're starting to see it, though, and I swear this has to do with the success that, that Creighton's had. Um, and hopefully Nebraska starts to do Omaha – that you see more and more kids in Nebraska that are coming out. Like you look at a, I can't say their names actually in the podcast, but there's a lot of young kids coming up right now mm -hmm. in the state of Nebraska that are supremely talented. I mean, Hunter Salas, I can say that it's at Gonzaga now. Mm -hmm. uh, and before you weren't seeing that as much. And I think that's due to six basketball success in that culture that's being built within those communities. 
that they're seeing a Doug McDermott, they're seeing a Kyrie Thomas, they're seeing a Justin Patton have success. And then they go on and now they're like, oh, well, I, I can do that. And now, now you got John Tanjay coming up. You got all these other kids that I can't say that are coming up that they're going to be the next stars of the future in, in that state. How difficult is it for a school, say like Colorado State, um, that's, you know, just sitting right outside uh, the power five that with there being that rule that you can do the one-time transfer rule, a lot of these guys that are going to have in one big year that maybe were under-recruited and developed late, now they have one big year at, you know, a school in, you know, the Mountain West or, you know, Conference USA, something like that, and then they can transfer right away. How difficult is it to be a coach at a program uh, like Colorado State where you got guys like that, you got to continually probably recruit throughout their time there? Yeah, and, and it's funny because I like somebody was saying the other day you got to recruit your own players now and blah 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 and all this stuff. And I, I just don't get that. Why do you have to recruit your players? Shouldn't you be having a relationship with them throughout the whole time they're there? Yeah, and I think that's that's the thing that people don't understand. It's like if you have to re-recruit your players, then you didn't you didn't develop enough of a relationship to begin with. Uh-huh. And I think that's what maybe I hope we do different with our guys, but we didn't have a single guy transfer this year, and we had. We had one guy who was a first team all conference player that not from, and we don't have kids from our state very often. We have one or two maybe every year. We have a first team all conference player from Minnesota that, as a sophomore, he's first team all conference. He's staying. We got another kid from Texas that was freshman of the year, second team all conference. Well, he's staying. And you worry about it. You always worry about it because I saw the DMs from other coaches that were trying to get him to come there. But yeah. at the same time, if you invest in these kids enough, and you really truly show that you want to help them develop, you really want that relationship with them, not only on the court, but off the court as well, then then they won't leave. And and I think it also has to do with their parents. We we recruit the parents just as much as the kid. And we're lucky enough that a lot of our guys have phenomenal parents. That's part of that, that's part of that atmosphere that keeps them here is because their parents believe that we're trying to help them become the best men they can be as well as basketball players. So backing up to uh, an answer or two ago when you were at Nebraska to lighten things up, your wife, you said, played volleyball at Iowa before this interview. And you were coaching at Nebraska, and you had that extra chip to beat Iowa. What was life in the Brokmanish household like during the weeks of those games? Was, it, was there like a lawn line drawn right down through the house and you couldn't, you know, you didn't. It was, it was, I, it was really, I think it was really, really, really hard for her. Like she's, she struggled with it. She would only wear black because black, you could pass off black as a color for Nebraska in Iowa. So, so it worked out. So at the, at the Nebraska games, whenever we would play Iowa, she would wear a black shirt. So she, she tried to make do with it. Um, but it was a struggle. She, she did not, it was hard for her to root for the Huskers during those Iowa games, especially, I think, especially the football games. And to be honest, for me, like, it was hard for me too, because I grew up even more so. Basketball was different. I was on the staff. Football was a little harder for me because I grew up going to those games in Iowa City and all my friends, we would go tailgating all the time. So the football games were really hard for me. <laughs> What, what's your wife's thoughts on the state of Iowa volleyball right now? Because they're they're going through a transitional period. I believe it's their coach is going into their third year now, and they um, haven't seen a lot of success yet. But it's still early. What what are your what's your wife's thoughts on the progress of the program and where they're at right now? I mean, she's right here, but uh, I think she she wants to bring her bring her on in. We can talk. <laughs> yeah, <to her. laughs> 
Uh, she well, we just had well, she actually just gave birth to a baby two days ago, so she's not she's not quite up for it. <laughs> but not in, not in the mood. I know. Yeah, exactly. I, I get Come it. on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she's excited. She's excited for him. Like she still follows them and whatnot, and she still pays attention to what they're doing. And obviously, she wants them to be successful too because um, she was she was there for four years trying to build that program up as well. And um, I, I think it's 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 hard though because Iowa, especially, there's a ton of volleyball talent in the state of Iowa. Yeah. And so hopefully they can start keeping some of that in-state talent in Iowa City because you've seen some of it going to Iowa State, Creighton, um, Nebraska even. And so hopefully if they can keep some more of that in-state talent in the state of Iowa, there's no reason it can't continue to grow. We got that brand new arena. I mean, mm-hmm. it seems like there's a lot of momentum. And I think Hawkeye fans are hungry for some good volleyball because I got to tell you, like, I'm going to shoot it straight. Men's <laughs> volleyball is unwatchable. <laughs> women's volleyball is way better there's volleys there's strategy like men's volleyball set spike done like no, it it, is. it's not even fun at all to watch like i just from living in nebraska all these years i have not even a little bit become a husker volleyball fan i give my wife crap all the time like you can't say you're a husker volleyball fan and like nothing else like not cool it doesn't work <laughs> that way at all like we're we're getting we're hawkeye volleyball fans we're hawkeye like we're going to we tried to go to some Iowa volleyball games. They weren't letting fans in yet, so we didn't get to go. But we uh, well, plan on taking our daughter out because she's a big volleyball player and trying to groom her to be an Iowa volleyball fan. No, you're right, though. It, the, between men's and women's volleyball, women's volleyball is way better. It's, oh, yeah. It's, it's because of the volleys. Like, in men's – you're right. In men's, it's just it, whatever team is spiking, it's going down, basically. Yeah. And it's credit to them. Like, it's amazing they're that athletic to do it, but it doesn't make the game better. <laughs> No. And, and we've got a vested interest here in getting Iowa volleyball better because if they can start beating the Huskers in volleyball, then then the Huskers are only left with women's bowling. So, you know, we're, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we're, that's, we're, that's, we're that's all the last we're standing on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, one of them. They've got some occasional things here and there. But, you know, that's that volleyball program strong in Lincoln. And we'd love no, to start seeing the Hawkeyes get some, uh, you know, start getting some victories there. So. No, absolutely. And Coach Ollie, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Congratulations on the new baby. That's freaking fantastic hearing that news. And um, tell your wife a big hello and thanks for everything she did for the Hawks <laughs> when, when she was there. And we've had a we had a blast watching your run at UNI. And, you know, it just makes your story even cooler, the adversity that you had to fight through to get to where you were. And we're having a lot of fun watching your coaching career progress mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, you know, we're going to be watching you at Colorado State, rooting you along and hoping you guys have, have a great run and nothing but success going forward. No, appreciate it, guys. Thank you. I'm continuing to watch you listen and watch you guys going forward, too. Appreciate can it. We, we usually end with a Go Hawks. Can we get you to give us a Go Hawks to end? Or I, can, I can give you a Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Right. Go yeah, Hawks. We, can, we can throw in a Go Rams, too. Like we, <laughs> there, we go. there we go. Are you going to watch the Colorado State-Iowa game play this year? We play each other in football. We're, we are actually flying down to the game. So my, oh. wife, and I, my wife and I are coming down. We'll, we'll, we'll be at the game. I probably have to wear Colorado State stuff. My my wife just said she won't though. <laughs> yeah, good for her. I like her already. She's got some strong opinions. Exactly. So hey, yeah. we got we're gonna meet up for a beer hopefully at the tailgate oh. before the game. So let us buy you a beer down there. Oh, we have to definitely. We'll make we'll we'll make that happen. All, All right. right, coach. Thank Great you guys. Talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, I, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.